0: Hi, this is Tom Cardwell, and you're listening to the Brutally Delicious Podcast.
1: Brutally Delicious!
2: Hey, you're listening to the Brutally Delicious Podcast. I'm Bruce. And I'm Chris. Today we've got Tom Cardwell. Um, Many of you may not know him, but he is a university lecturer, a painter, and a researcher currently studying for a PhD project which he uses paintings to examine the customized cutoffs worn by heavy metal fans. And you're going to love this title. His thesis is titled, Still Life and Death Metal, Painting the Battle Jacket.
1: So last week, we were talking about um, Skid Row and how Sebastian Bach had said, hey, come, come join me. And yes. no, no one would, except for Rob Ofuso, the original yeah. drummer, is in. I saw you sent me that and I
2: was kind of stoked about it. That's pretty cool. You also sent me a lot of stuff that made me sad because here I am sitting in my bedroom doing a podcast and half the world is recovering from four days of Hellfest. Oh, God. <laughs> Did that not look
1: awesome or what? Yeah,
2: so we're probably not as cool or as metal as we think we are because we were not at Hellfest. I'm sitting in the bedroom there.
1: No, my good friend Andy was sending me photos and mocking me the whole time. <laughs> Yeah. I was like, you asshole. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I would
2: just go my whole feed was just filled with people with pictures and videos and hey, look who I ran into at Hellfest. I'm like, wow, that's great.
1: Oh man, it looked amazing, didn't it? I didn't know I, I didn't know Gojira was playing Hellfest. I didn't see them on the bill, but apparently they played. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> see, there's another. <laughs> Let's see how many of the same ones
2: we can get back into Here. the other. Uh, can I just
1: jab it a little deeper? Just jab it a little <laughs> deeper.
2: <laughs> they, they did have a nice set list. I was pretty excited about it.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of good bands on there, but Manowar didn't play. They. So yeah, I'm reading. I was actually reading that this morning on Blabbermouth. There's so many rumors going around about what
2: happened. What's so yeah, I've heard a couple, they say that wasn't, they didn't cancel it, that it was canceled by the promoter, but I mean, I guess we'll never know.
1: No, no. And then, but the promoter was saying Man War was complaining about the stage size. Right. So like, who knows? Do you know, they're in the Guinness Book of World Records for the loudest
2: concert ever. <laughs> <laughs> that's a weird piece of trivia. Well,
1: that's a, you know... I love loud concerts, but I wonder how many people suffered hearing damage at that concert. But it was all in the name of getting it to the Guinness Book
2: of World Records. So, I mean, you got to weigh the pros and the cons, and at least they're in, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, they're in. That's what makes the difference. So was who, also... who runs that frickin' book anyways, the Guinness Book of World Records? Is it the, is it the beer company? <laughs> 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 I never really gave it any thought, but I don't think it has anything to do
2: with Guinness beer, but... And I don't know, like, because you can make up stuff. Like, I could just say I'm gonna be, I'm gonna pick my toenails like a million times today. And if it's not a record already in there, then they come by and certify me, you know, picking my toenails, and then it's in. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: Until somebody else decides, hey, that jackass did that same thing. I now, I'm gonna go do it, try and beat it, and do it a million and one or something. So
1: I'm gonna I pick my nose and make a snot ball, one <laughs> right. feet large, one foot large. <laughs>
2: so, I know it's very weird you're saying ball, but I was out in Kansas City once doing some sound thing and I had nothing to do one day and I came across like well what is it to do here in Kansas City? And the largest ball of twine it's in the Guinness Book of World Records is in the and I actually went and saw like the largest ball of twine, which is like the most effed up thing to possibly think about doing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what are you what what are you doing? <laughs> like <laughs> If you have that much time on your hands to make a ball of twine that big, imagine what you could do for the world if you took that energy and actually put put it into something that was fucking useful. (laughs)
2: You're you're right. But it also says something about me and the other people that went to see it. Like I was like, well, (laughs) I got an idea. I'm going to go see this big ball of twine.
1: (laughs) Oh, dude, in Canada, they have the world's largest Easter egg in a town called Vegerville. And people come nice. from all over the place to see this Easter egg. It's weird, man. It's like this town. I don't know how big it is now, but it used to be a village, like so small. And there's a big freaking Easter egg in the middle of the <laughs> town.
2: <laughs> yep. Okay. Uh, all right. So I'm going to tell you one quick story, and then we'll get to uh, music-related stuff. You got it. So so I'm always into intrigued now that I told you about my Twine thing, but I'm always intrigued about doing off the beaten path kind of touristy stuff. Mm-hmm. So a friend of mine gave me this book and I think there's one for every city. You can probably get one for DC. It's called Weird and wacky Mine is Virginia obviously. So it's Weird and Wacky Virginia. And it's got all these like weird things you can find. So some guy like 3 hours from here decided to build an exact replica of Stonehenge <laughs> out of sty- out of styrofoam and he called it Foamhenge. <laughs> Where is this? <laughs> it's just west of me, probably. So check it out. So one day I had been dying to go. It was like on my bucket list of things to do one summer. And me and my son were traveling all over the place. Yeah. So one one summer, we I got my wife in the car. We had we went out to somewhere else. And I'm like, I'm going to find Foam Henge. So we found it. But I'm, apparently it's closed now. And it's, a, it's like on some guy's private farm. But he closed it. And we were like, shit, I didn't come all this way to not see it. So we jumped the fence in this field. And like ran about three quarters of a mile up, and there in the middle of this clearing is an exact replica. I mean, because I've been to the real one, exact replica yep. out of styrofoam, dude.
1: No way, dude. Hey. This thing, I'm I just Googled this. <laughs> I just Googled yeah. this, and it's 30 minutes from me.
2: Oh, you gotta go. But it's closed, you just gotta hop the fence, and you won't be you won't get arrested because when I got in there finally, there was like a dozen or more people They were all just like hanging out taking pictures and stuff. It's totally the footage, the square footage, the circle, the size of them. Everything is perfect. It's painted gray. It's styrofoam. I, and it's called foam engine. <laughs> Dude, I had
1: no idea. That is like, I almost bought a house near that where it is. Cox, yep. Cox Farms in Centerville. Oh, my God. I got to go see this. <laughs> you could drive
2: right by it because it's closed. But my wife parked like on the dirt road. And we're like, she's like, you're not really gonna hop the fence. I said, I didn't drive three hours and wait all summer long to not see it. I'm going. Oh yeah. So, jumped, so we jumped the fence, me and my son, and we like crawled up the side, and there it is. As soon as you hit the clearing, there's like all the, there was all these hippies. When I got there, it was a Saturday afternoon, just like hanging out in front
1: of Stonehenge, or <laughs> sorry, foamhenge. <laughs> see, this is why I need to meet more people in Virginia because I learn about stupid shit like this. <laughs> Get the book, go to, you can go to Barnes and Noble. You don't
2: even have to buy it. Just peruse it while you're drinking coffee, weird and wacky Virginia. We've, we found so many things in it that we've gone and visited. You'd be like, what the hell? I didn't even know why would somebody do this? There's a town somewhere near you where a bunch of the, you're going to think I'm making this shit up, but a bunch of the midgets from, uh, give me the movie. Hurry up. The wizard of Oz. Yeah. They formed a town and it's a miniature town. Like everything is their size. It's, it's now defunct, but it was like right up by you, and it's probably still available. <laughs> Midgetville. Look up
1: Midgetville right now. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, okay, okay. I got to look at this up because right now I'm just dying. I now know what my weekend is going to consider or consist of.
2: Midgetville in like Northern Virginia or D.C. I don't know which one it's called.
1: Midgetville. Wikipedia. You found it,
2: right? You found it, right?
1: Yeah. I'm just trying to see. Fairfax County. Oh, my God. It's right beside me. It's literally like 15 minutes from here.
2: I think it's gone, but I, maybe it's just gone and not a town anymore. You might be able to go see it.
1: Oh no! It looks like they. It looks like it's gone. But that's the thing that, like, so we had
2: a whole summer where me and my son were like, "Let's pick this book and do something weird every, every freaking day" while we were off. On our days off, I'd go through the book and go, all right, this is what we're doing today. Like, there's, a, there's something in Richmond about the vampire. There's, like, this vampire grave, the Great Richmond Vampire. And we went there and found it in the middle of this Hollywood cemetery that's all, like, presidents and stuff. Right in the corner, tucked in neatly, is this vampire guy. He's got a whole legend.
1: Okay. It looks like Midgetville is still there. <laughs> see? <laughs> except somebody bought the land, and they now own it. So they're they're maintaining it, but they're not letting people see it. But people are sneaking on to see it.
2: That's why I told you, like Stonehenge, the guy's got it private, but everybody jumps the fence and goes.
1: You know, talking about Foamhenge, um, henge, <laughs> <watching, laughs> I was watching. I was watching. Spinal Tap. Oh yeah, it was on TV the other day. <laughs> Thir-
2: thirteen inches <laughs> instead of
1: thirteen feet. <laughs> or the part where they're trying to find their venue and they're like lost in the back and they're going all around. Hello Cleveland. (laughs) (laughs) Or they end up playing a puppet show. (laughs) It's just
2: (laughs) That's good stuff. All right. So I guess we need to, well, I wanted to do two things. One, we need to get to the metal stuff because we're going to be talking to this guy in about five minutes. But second, I think we need to send out some, uh, I don't know if you saw the news, but Dave Mustaine's got throat cancer. Oh dude. Terrible. Yeah, so we're going to send some positive vibes And if you're a prayer or a good or sender Let's all send our vibes out to Dave Um. All right, so Did you get a chance (laughs) to look at it?
1: (laughs) Sorry, I I didn't even know I was just meditating I I was meditating for Dave Um. I
2: I didn't know what to say about that So I moved along The look
1: look on your face (laughs) is classic (laughs)
2: All right, have you looked at any of uh Mr. Tom Cardwell stuff? So he's done a bunch of uh he's a professor again, so sort of like our our buddy Mr. Viren Swami, but he's doing his PhD on actually I'm going to read it to you right in here. It says where Dutch still life painting meets heavy metal, the art of the battle jacket. So not only is he doing his, he did doing his PhD thesis on those battle jackets which I've always been intrigued by when you go to those shows. I don't have one now. I mean, as a kid, I had a denim jacket with painting the buttons on it, but nothing as elaborate as they get now. And then he also has an art gallery where he, uh, I want to talk to him about because he, I believe he's painting them, too. He's got an art gallery in London right now.
1: Like, these are ridiculous.
2: Yeah, I, I, that's what I found. There. I was like, man, this guy's great. Let's see if we can get him on and talk to him. So I think this is going to be kind of cool. i mentioned interested to talk to him because we talked to our buddy, uh, Varun Swami there, and he had that whole scholarly take on the metal world, and this is going to be another...
1: Man, rabbit hole, we can go. There. I want one of these jackets. Hell yeah! Like I'm this, looking at this. This right. Judas Priest one is just unbelievable.
2: Yeah, well, you can't have that because I already was looking at it. Claim the freshman. <laughs> <one.
1: laughs> <laughs> <laughs> you can have the Motorhead one. <laughs> <laughs> what about this other one? I don't. The is this the Grateful Dead? Is this what this is? Oh, right?
2: I know. I don't know what that is. That reggae looking one down there. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Maybe Jerry. Yes. Yeah. I guess it is the Dead, right? Because it's got. I don't know. All yes, right. that's pretty fabulous. Hey, Chris, meet Thomas. Thomas, meet Chris. Hey,
1: Thomas. Right. How are you doing? Good. Yeah, call me Tom.
2: All right, Tom. How are you? I am fine, thanks. Awesome. Thank you for taking the time to do this. I know it's late in the day over there.
0: Uh, yeah, not too bad, actually. We're in the afternoon, so it's pretty civilized.
2: <laughs> is, it, <laughs> is, is it tea time? uh
0: not yeah probably i don't really drink it but yeah
2: (laughs) sorry that's all i really know about being over in uh in europe so i got a couple questions to start first off have you gotten to any of the uh, european festivals yet this summer that we're all drooling about over here
0: um, no, I haven't been to any festivals yet this year. I'm just looking at a couple. There's a couple of good ones coming up, Bloodstock is always good, and uh, there's there's one in Birmingham called Supersonic where we've got yeah. Osus and Godflesh and people like that. Um, it's looking pretty good. But I guess being in London, I'm pretty spoilt for my, you know any bands who who come over tend to come through here. So um,
2: yeah, so yeah, we we uh, we get everybody ready. We were looking at some pictures of our friends from Hellfest over the weekend and, oh, and yeah. drooling and drooling about it cuz I wish I was there. That's some kind of festival going on there.
0: Yeah, that's amazing over there. Yeah, and you got Vacan and all that kind of stuff. It's yeah. Europe is very very good.
2: Yeah, that's like the holy grail, Vacan or Wacken, or however you pronounce it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty it's
2: like Glastonbury, I think. You know,
0: the tickets go within uh, within minutes, I think I've even heard of people being at the festival and they release the tickets for the next year what, during the festival, and people are kind of in their tents, looking on for the next year and that kind of stuff. I don't know if that's true. Really? That's what I heard. Someone told me that. Yeah, I don't know. I've never been, but
1: right. Um, yeah, it looks like it sells out fast. I was looking on their website the other day, and it said there's no tickets left, but there may be some through resellers if you contact them. <laughs> I was like, yeah. okay. Wow. A friend uh That's a, bu- a friend of mine is is photographing uh being a f- photographer at uh Vaken, and He's like, "Anyone oh, right. want to be a cameraman for the weekend?" <laughs> His Facebook was <laughs> just jammed full of yes, 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 yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, I wonder how he picked that person. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so Thomas, we didn't get you here to talk about uh, festivals, but um. Go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into doing the uh, the battle jacket sort of project thesis research. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, um, I I guess like many people uh, of, of my age, I grew up. Uh, so the first music I was listening to was mid to late eighties. So I grew up with um, jackets and really. That was my first experience of metal. Even before I'd heard much metal, I saw people wearing jackets. So I'd be on the school bus and kids would have, you know, Iron Maiden or Slayer on their jacket. And, you know, when you're kind of 11, you think, that wow, that looks really cool. Um, I need to listen to that band. And that was in the days when you still had to go and find a shop that stocked those records. And then you actually had to buy some vinyl and get it home and listen to it on your parents' record player. So, you know, I think I bought... um, Megadeth's cover of No More Mr Nice Guy was my first 7-inch um right you know kind of from there uh it wasn't just the jacket so I started making my own jackets and um just being really interested in in other people doing that and then um I guess the the kind of whole thing of of making battle jackets was was around a bit less in the 90s because of all the stuff that happened with grunge and um, you know just the, the metal scene taking a different turn and apart from some of the stuff that was happening in in Norway and Scandinavia with black metal etc which is pretty well documented and especially at the moment with the, um, the Lords of Chaos movie and all yes. that kind of stuff you know that that was something else but I think certainly for the the, the more what we could call the metal mainstream jacket making seemed to dip a bit during that decade. And then after 2000, it started to come back. And I mean, my perception is that as a lot of the bands of the, that were big in the eighties kind of had resurgences, um, you know, so all the kind of Bay area thrash bands and, through to people like Iron Maiden and then of course um, later a lot of the the kind of hair metal bands all of that kind of came back um, and a lot of those guys got back together or, or started putting out a lot more music and it seems like the jacket making then you know kind of becomes a lot more popular again and I think the internet helped as well so I think and um, people being able to see what other people were doing online, you know, post jackets and look at other people's jackets on galleries, and um, of course buy patches much more easily. You know, it's not like the days where you you had to buy the patch at the show or find find some uh, store that would would sell it somewhere. Um, so anyway, that's a, a, that's kind of how I was first into it. But then, as a, an artist, i have been making paintings of things that to me were kind of like physical documents that had some kind of cultural resonance and I'd made a series of paintings of suits of armour in about 2011-2012 and then it just seemed like the battle jackets were a kind of natural progression of that, they just seemed to be something that to me had a lot of the same characteristics as a kind of decorative suit of armour in some ways. And it was around the time I was just thinking about doing a PhD and um, I talked about it with my team and it seemed like that would be a, a good thing to do. So it kind of came from there, really. So that's a long answer to a short question.
2: <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Chris? <clears throat>
1: that's that's awesome. I, I'm like you, where the battle jacket really, I didn't even know what it was called uh, yeah. when I was growing up, but the battle jacket was something that I always looked at and thought, oh man, where did they get all those patches and like then i started trying to find head shops where i could go
0: right get, exactly get
1: something or you know and then my parents would never let me make one but uh, <laughs> <laughs> i had the patches anyways <laughs> did you ever make it no i've never had one okay no oh, it's never too late right? because when the 90s came around uh you know i was in like what grade 10 or 11 and i kind of fell into the grunge thing
2: sure. yeah we're sorry
1: yeah no
0: well <laughs> I, I think everyone did that to an extent
1: yeah get
2: so i had one growing up but it wasn't it was a, never a jacket i mean it was never a um the vest like most people have that was a full jacket and right. in new york at the time people like in high school that were real artists like i guess yourself would paint them so i had like mob rules do acrylicly painted in that little panel on the back amazing and then, and then there were no patches. So we had like buttons. I don't know if the if button thing was big up in over in Europe, but there was all these buttons. It was like a little record store that told, you know, buttons of Nikki six or whatever. So, yeah, so I guess yeah, so if, yeah. if I fell in a lake, I'd probably drown because it was loaded with spikes. and yeah. buttons. And, but that was my version of the battle jacket. I wish I still had that. That oh, thing it was absolutely awesome.
0: Yeah. I'd love to have seen that. And actually, um, cause I've, interviewed a lot of people about their jackets and i've photographed a lot of jackets as well as making the paintings and some of the ones that i'm most interested in are those where people have hands either hand painted or actually a, a tradition which seemed to happen around the late 70s before the patches were being mass manufactured is a lot of people at least in england were um hand embroidering their jackets for themselves oh wow so yes seen, i
2: remember I've, that
0: I've, yeah There were amazing jackets i've seen where people have done the whole you know multiple logos and it must be hundreds of hours of stitching you know let alone sewing on a patch it's actually creating the whole thing in, through embroidery and often people who would not you know didn't have any kind of training in that um so i think that and that kind of hand making is is one of the most interesting parts of
1: the tradition actually that I a i didn't know that that is amazing yeah i would love to see some of those jackets
0: yeah i yeah. can um well i uh yeah you can have a look at the the uh, in my article i've got some examples um which is which is on my website there so you can just have a look
1: yeah i'm scrolling through it right now to see do you think that this uh
2: the battle jacket has evolved into some sort of uh uniform i guess loosely uh, to, to an extent, to an extent, I think it's,
0: it's becoming, you know, I'm seeing around a lot of people who were obviously fairly new to making them and, and are kind of picking it up, um, as, as it's become more popular. And as I say, through kind of what you can see on the internet, um, I think in a sense, they're becoming probably if you went out and sampled a hundred jackets at a festival or a concert. Um, I think festivals are, are the most interesting because you get a mix of people, you know, rather than just there to see one band. Right. Um, and th- there, there is perhaps a kind of a, a similar look to jackets that have been made fairly recently because people are tending to have the same patches or the same kind of patches from the same places. Um, so in a way, maybe it's, it's become a bit of a uniform. And I know that some of the big um, metal merch stores sell these kind of pre-made um so you could buy like a cut-off shirt or a a vest with a already with a print on the back of you know so they'll do one for motorhead and they'll do one for made metallica and you know so you can kind of pick it up off the peg and then add your own stuff to it so in that sense like everything these days it's become a little bit um you know it's possible to, to buy it a bit more off the peg which you know i i wouldn't i know some people would be quite against that and I think it's not as good as doing it from scratch but I certainly wouldn't want to um you know look down on however however anyone wants to wants to put one together you know everyone's got to start with something right so I think um but in in a sense of a uniform in a way in a way perhaps it's become Probably no more than it was in in the early 80s, mid-80s, I would say. Not really, you know, no more than uh, punks making a a jacket with safety pins and um, bondage gear and stuff. You know, that was as much a uniform as as this is now, I think. And still, I would say that you go to a show or a festival and probably only about one in 20, say, people are, are... will be wearing a, a battle jacket, you know, most people would just go for a t-shirt and, um it's still not, you know, every fan's got one, I would say.
2: Right. So I've got two questions and I'll let, and I'm hogging the conversation here. Sorry, Chris, it's I have a okay. short, I have a short attention span. So while they're in my head first, are you finding any research that there's no like age limit? Like, I know you said Chris is not too old to start now. So, I mean, people from, you know, like my kids age all the way up to me or older are still, involved in this battle jacket phenomena?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say that there's, there's a real range, um, that there are, you know, I've, I've met fairly young, um, fans of maybe early teens who've, who've got really excellent jackets, you know, and in some ca- you know, one kid told me that he got a lot of the patches from his dad. And so there's that kind of, in some cases, it's even being kind of passed on, um, so i don't think i don't think it's about that you you need to be be older to have a good jacket but often some of the really good jackets are from people who've who've been making them for years and years and have you know the patches really do reflect that time they've spent going to shows and and listening to different different music through their uh, years of their life so i think but i think yeah there's all kinds of people um making them and i've noticed that it's becoming, I guess, like the whole of the metal scene, it's becoming a lot more diverse as well in terms of, you know, it's no longer just, um, you know, sort of youngish white men making jackets. You know, there's all kinds of different people. Um, you know, it's it's really becoming a, a much more diverse scene. And I guess that's the whole metal scene generally, really. But definitely right. you see that reflected in, in jacket culture as well.
1: One thing that I was thinking about, <clears throat> excuse me, as we go through this conversation is like, Metal music has always been kind of an outlet for people that had more kind of extreme, uh, not views, but, you know, they're, they're attracted yeah. to, to a more extreme art form. And mm-hmm. the, ja- the jacket kind of symbolized that, that personality in a way for me. How do you feel about stores starting to like mass manufacture these jackets and sell them online? Yeah, so I mean, I, I've, I've been
0: really interested in um, the way that I guess there's been a wave of certainly over here, and I would imagine it's been the same in North America as well. There's been a wave of the mainstream fashion uh, labels using metal merch as a kind of uh, as a look over the yes. past couple of years. So, you know, and I actually did a, a paper on this in December called uh, They're Selling Slayer Shirts in Primark, which uh, Primark <laughs> is a store like Walmart um, that kind yeah. of, you know, yeah, it's absolutely. that kind of level. So, um, I'd, I'm really interested in that. And again, I think on the one hand, you know, there's tons of stuff online of, of for and against whether this is, you know, the ultimate kind of, uh, sacrilege for a metal fan to see, to see these bands kind of, you know, s- s- license their stuff to, to these big chains. Um, but on the other hand, you know, I think it's, it's always interesting to stand back and whatever our view is on that is to say, well, why is that happening? You know, there's something really interesting there. And and for me, there's some interesting stuff happening as well with uh, the way that say a lot of um, hip hop stars were were wearing a lot of, um, a lot of band jackets and t-shirts and I was just going to bring that up. I
1: was just going to bring that up. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just wondering like, so like, You know, in the hip hop genre, it's also kind of an, well, not all of it, but a lot of it is also quite extreme in in terms of content, lyrical content and musical content. It's quite, it actually shares quite a lot with heavy metal in a way. And yeah, I I guess. um, And I've noticed that, that some of the clothing wear, although it's different, it shares some of the, some similar imagery with metal a lot of the time.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I guess, yeah, there's there's probably, as you say, in both cases, there's there's an element of any music that's kind of pushing the boundaries lyrically and of something that's more extreme. And, you know, it's not new that there's been kind of crossovers. I guess we can think of Body Count and, um, you know, uh, um, Walk This Way, you know, Aerosmith uh, do, doing that collaboration with Run DMC and all that. So there's been those kind of crossovers since at least back since the early 90s. Um, And even some of the, I guess, like the Beastie Boys had that kind of link up. And then, you know, all those New York hardcore bands like Biohazard and, um, you know, so so there's been these crossovers, which I guess, um, as you say, it's something to do with people wanting to not just um, listen to music that's about something extreme, but also representing that. And um, I had an interesting discussion with uh with a friend on this recently about um the there was a, a, a cannibal um sorry it wasn't cannibal corpse um i'm trying to think of the band there was a t-shirt that was allegedly banned for a while um for being super offensive and i guess we can all think of examples of um some of the, some of the more extreme shirts that that are out there um right. so i you know i think Partly, there'll always be this kind of desire on the part of a fan say, so "I'm, I'm putting something out there that that can't be easily, um, easily kind of looked at, and even uh, is difficult for people to look at." So there's something confrontational, and again, I think that's probably in the same spirit as as what the punks were doing in the seventies, deliberately wearing things that they knew people would find offensive, and that was kind of the point. Yeah. Um, and and I think that obviously as as metal as a scene has grown and and matured and the the people in the scene you know it spans all ages now as as the people who were probably starting it out have, have got older um i think that maybe um you know most of us probably get a bit more mellow as we get older but we might still like some of that same music um so i you know <clears throat> we, and the, another guy actually um i posted an image on Instagram of a jacket I painted that had a creator back patch with the the head with the the um, the, the skin's been peeled back and you can see the brain and, and it's right. it's quite a graphic image and one of my friends posted on there that a friend of his had worn that shirt to his grandmother's funeral and um, you know in a way that's kind of hilarious but it probably wasn't hilarious at the time and it's right. maybe this mixture of what at 17 or 18 you think is is acceptable kind of thing to wear and um and i guess it's all all about context as well so i've i've often had interesting conversations with people about where and when they would wear their jackets so you know some people would just wear them to a show other people would wear them really day in day out um and the whole thing of you know like would would you wear your jacket to get a flight? You know, would you walk through security? Would that be a problem? And um, increasingly probably these days, I would say not, you know, a lot less so because of the diversity of, of what's acceptable to wear in culture in general. Uh, However, I guess there are certain images now that are offensive that perhaps wouldn't have been 20 or 30 years ago, you know, the types of things that are, are, and, and also it depends where you are, you know, it really depends where you are. So, there's a, a really interesting documentary that premiered in London recently about the Syrian metal scene. And over there, to, to wear anything that marks you out as being a metal fan is is really risky because it's un, it's not allowed. So, ah. um, you know, I guess a lot is, is context really in London these days, or I guess in New York or um, in L.A. Or, you know, any, any major Western city, probably you have to go quite far to, to really shock people in terms of uh, wearing where Wearing metal imagery, and maybe that's why some of the extreme bands push it further and further. But I, I don't know if I've really answered your question. I think I've got up gone on a tangent there. <laughs> that's
1: okay. I love it. I love it. You said something <laughs> earlier where that about that guy wearing wearing it to his grandmother's funeral, and it reminded me. Oh uh, yeah. It reminded me of I was probably grade nine, eight eight or nine, and I I got a Motley Crue t shirt with a with a pentagram on it and oh, yeah. i i had to hide it from my parents so they didn't know i had it but one day i was in catholic school and they took me to church and i was like that's it i'm wearing this to church and it was like a big moment for me it, yeah. and and it, it it kind of made me feel like free you know like not part of everything that was around me it kind of i don't even know <laughs> how to describe it really but i got suspended for it <laughs> <laughs> from where from school yeah Wow. yeah because i wore it it was a it was a school trip to the church as if i needed as if i needed that but i i was like you know what (laughs) screw this i'm doing this because this is who i am you know i like motley crew and you you you, you can't tell me i i'm not allowed to so i wore it and i remember this nun just went up one side of me and down the other and told me to put a jacket on and I was screaming and yelling at her. (laughs) I was was pretty young, but uh, so, you know, imagery on clothing sure does have an impact, not only just on like, this is how I feel, but it also helps you express something that maybe we, you have a hard time doing with words sometimes
0: exactly exactly and I think um, what you've just described is is really interesting and I bet most or many many uh, metal fans can relate to that or have a an experience maybe maybe not so striking as that but of you know first wearing something and maybe their family um, not liking it or you know um, being out in public and someone says hey you know what's uh, there's a you know what are you doing wearing that and then um, you know on the other hand, I, th- I think that's part of the attraction of metal is is because it is so um, it's so blatant. It's not subtle, you know. There's nothing subtle about the Motley Crue pentagram t-shirt, and there's nothing subtle about the shirt I was trying to think of earlier was Cradle of Filth. I remember now. And, yes, and, I remember uh, that now. You know, with with the nun on the front, and um, you know that of course is deliberately trying to to push those buttons of uh, exactly what you've just described you know it's it's really trying to shove it in the face of the whole kind of um you know uh, what was it the parents music resource center and all of that stuff yes. um in in the in the was that the 80s or the the, the yeah, early 90s the I can't yeah,
2: yeah there was the, the whole so, satanic panic thing scene i grew up on that so yeah i'm very familiar with Tipper yeah, gore so, yeah exactly <laughs> exactly and um so you know it's it's
0: obviously the Bands are then going to kind of um, up the ante with that stuff. But I think, you know, certainly thinking about going back to for myself, when I first, I was describing kind of seeing people wear this stuff when I was reasonably young. And to me, that was, you know, it was a little bit threatening, you know, seeing, seeing a kind of, I remember seeing the first, Iron Maiden t-shirt I think I saw which had I think it was Seventh Son of a Seventh Son with you know Eddie's kind of decapitated head with a fist yeah. coming through it and you know at 11 years old you're like whoa that is kind of amazingly cool but also a little bit frightening and you think <laughs> what kind of person would wear this what you know it's kind of like you know And then you get the kind of Metallica I remember Damage Incorporated you got the the skull with the clubs shoved through it which is like this kind of you know, what the Vikings used to do when they right. conquered people, you know. So it's really tapping into something very, very, um, this kind of, uh, I don't know, atavistic kind of violence, which in for, you know, parts of the world at least are, are not part of daily life, but, but for certainly – um when you when you're younger there's this kind of attraction to obviously you don't want you don't probably want to be a part of any of that for real but it's in the same way that people might want to watch a horror movie or um identify with something that seems a little bit scarier or tougher or different to how they feel themselves so i think there's a lot of trying to kind of um how you would like to be a bit more through, say, you know, putting on that T-shirt or making the jacket. And then, um, you know, I, 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 think, I think there's something really interesting in that. And, and that is a big part of my interest through the project of, of talking to people and finding out why, why they they first made a jacket or wore a T-shirt or what, whatever it was. But I think that connection between the image and and the piece of clothing and the music is really fundamental, actually. I think it's really important.
2: Why do you think the phenomenon of battle jackets is just specific to the the metal hard rock world and not why don't you find them in pop or country or is there an answer for that or a reason for that?
0: Um, I, I don't know. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess if we if we leave aside some of the stuff I was just talking about, which has happened recently with other genres kind of aping metal style in in a fashionable way and as an aside to that I don't know if you guys have come across the Taylor Swift tour shirt that looks like a black metal shirt what? no see not that? at all oh, I yes. okay alright well anyway that's that's a whole other thing but um, you know th- I think generally absolutely you're right that, that most other genres you know you might have a t-shirt but certainly the idea of making a jacket occasionally you see, I do see jackets that are not metal specific. So I saw one that had stuff like the Beatles and Pink Floyd on it, um, but mixed in with a lot of hard rock patches and punk patch and things like that. So I think you're right that that, that it's pretty much um, predominantly metal and, and rock. And I think, I mean, I don't know, I don't know if there's any kind of causal connection, like there's a reason that it had to be metal, but it's perhaps circumstantial in the way that the scene evolved and thinking about maybe the connections into the beginning of metal in the late 1960s through uh, a big part of that being biker culture and uh the what, what are called the patch clubs um you know the hells angels etc right. um who who were customizing jackets for the clubs since post world war 2 and in a way that i think was probably influenced by military patches. So if you look at, for example, motorcycle divisions from World War II, and they would have these insignia on the back and that kind of thing. So it comes through that, but also um, the whole kind of hippie counterculture thing, you know, um, you only have to look at Easy Rider or something like that, and you can see the kind of seeds of that. Um, So I think because all of those things fed into the beginnings of the metal scene, um, I... I guess the patches came through that, and then the jacket became a thing that um, that just became connected to metal, um, yeah. particularly. Um, but I don't know if there's a reason why it has to be. I, I mean, perhaps there's something. I think there's a lot to do with the DIY aesthetic and that idea that you're not going to wear something that looks really kind of carefully, you know, carefully Crafted. produced. And there's some there's something um, as one person I interviewed. Uh, put it it has to have a bit of chaos about it you know it shouldn't look too perfectly designed too neat you know there's right. often that you know patches are, are hand sewn on and perhaps quite roughly sewn on and um, you get into the kind of uh, cross punk scene and people are sewing it on with white thread so that thread shows up and stuff like right. that you know um, so I think there's an element of metal having this kind of rhetoric of, of not being, um, not wanting to conform to nicety and wanting something to look a bit raw and a bit kind of, um, you know, like the idea that you're going to wear the same jacket, whatever the rest of fashion is doing, you know, you're not going to change the style of what you wear, etc cetera, you know? So there's that, there's that kind of thing to it.
2: Um, Even if it's a hundred degrees it, out.
0: Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So you can sorry I didn't uh, mean to I mean,
2: interrupt you, but. I no, saw no, wearing no. Them. I saw them wearing them like at Hellfest. It's a hundred degrees with a million people and there's everybody out there in their jackets.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, And, and that's the great thing, I guess, and why the cutoff is popular. And again, I think this comes from bikers because you can wear a cutoff over nothing, or you can wear it over a t-shirt or a leather jacket or another jacket, you know? So, um, and I know some, some metal fans have different vests of different sizes. So some they would wear in the summer, just over t-shirts and some they'd wear in the winter when you need a jacket underneath. Um, so yeah, I think there's, there's that kind of adaptability, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know if there's, uh, if there's reasons that that it should only be metal fans who make the jackets, but I think now it's become such a connection, you know, such a strong connection that, uh, that it's, it's there to stay really at least for the foreseeable, you know?
1: Okay.
2: I just, I just one, I just looked ahead. up
1: that Taylor Swift shirt, and that is a just, sick shirt.
2: He just sent <laughs> it to me. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. What's the marketing yeah. ploy with that? I mean, how how does crying about your ex boyfriend fit in with this T shirt? I wonder.
0: Yeah, I guess that's that's the really fascinating thing of where there's this become this kind of detachment between metal as a style and what the content might be. You know, so and I think this is this is. In large parts, come through um, some of the streetwear brands. C- can I mention brand names or not?
2: Yeah, sure. Yeah, why not? Yeah, okay.
0: So the so the the most well known one would be Supreme, who've done you know they've done the Slayer collaboration, they've done Black Sabbath, but then they've also done like Morrissey shirts, and they've done you know so they're really making the point that we're not about one particular it almost doesn't matter what the content is. It's about connecting the brand to something and saying, we'll kind of claim this for our own, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think rather than, rather than those brands trying to cash in on the cool of metal, they're almost doing the opposite and saying, we're so cool. We can make anything else cool. And I think that's the same thing that happens with the, the high street fashion, you know, doing these shirts and the Taylor Swift shirt, et cetera. I think it's about saying, um, you know, this—it's about stating the importance of the brand and actually saying that that we're gonna we're gonna assimilate this um, what's meant to be an extreme style and assimilate it into anything else. And so you get this kind of interesting kind of postmodern detachment between the message and the and the me and the um the you know the thing that's carrying the message. And it, and right. it's um yeah, but it's certainly it's certainly kind of confusing. And, and and then you get, um you know, the kind of uh, old school metal fan who will just have none of that and say, no, that just, you know, that should not should not be done.
2: And maybe they're right. I don't know. <laughs> I
1: don't they know even, either, but it's cool. Like, even, I, yeah. saw, I look at it. I'm like, that's a rad shirt.
2: Yeah. <laughs> they even lifted the, the font types. I mean, it looks like a death metal logo. Oh yeah. 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 And I
0: mean, these things, you know, you can get these fonts free font downloads all over the place online. So it's you Wanted to go and make your own death metal shirt. It's not too hard to do now. Um, But certainly, you know, they've someone's some, some good designers done
1: a, done a clever job there. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to do one for Santa Claus.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hey Tom, do you have a battle jacket? Uh, Yeah, I have a couple what's your favorite one and who's on the back
0: okay so um so the the one i would wear most of the time is uh the patch is mastodon and um, nice. so i'm a, a, a big mastodon fan and uh that, that's one i made myself because they actually don't release a lot of patches so i have a kind of homemade homemade one on there um and then i have a i guess a bunch of the stuff that I mentioned earlier that that got me into metal. So all the kind of Bay Area bands, Metallica, Megadeth, Anthrax, yeah. Exodus, Testament, um, those kind of guys and try and stick with people I've been to see as well. So that the jacket is like this kind of charting of, of the bands you've,
2: you've been right. to
0: see. Um, Iron Maiden are on there a lot. Um, Paradise Lost, who are nice. a band from Leeds um, kind of doomy. um, Doomy Band, and uh, I I should mention Gojira as well. I have Gojira on
2: there. I know
0: you you guys love them.
2: I know you love Gojira. Hold on one second. Did did Chris set you up for that? Is he sending Uh, you a message to go ahead and say
0: that? No, I just just listened to some of your other episodes, and uh, I I heard you like Gojira.
1: Bruce was giving me a hard time earlier today. He's like, we can't talk about Gojira anymore. I was like, well, they played Hellfest. (laughs) (laughs)
0: you <laughs> really got to see me. them though they're so they're honestly
1: they're really good they're really really good live Especially there's live no better them. there's no better metal band live right now
2: oh right. man
1: sorry bruce yeah, Tom, they,
2: you're killing they're me cu- they're
0: touring here next week so i'm pretty excited <laughs> about that
1: Yeah, <laughs> that was great
2: and that's a good way to do your research too because that just came out of nowhere <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe we should just end it here bruce right here nice i'm pr- <laughs> I'm pretty
2: sure he just sent you an email to say that or something. That was a good setup.
0: <laughs> no, it was li- literally I I heard you talking about it with one of the other other guests,
1: and I thought I oh, think God. it's
2: on every every episode. Every. We end up talking about Gojira, hair yeah. metal, and there's something else that comes up a lot.
1: The I weather, mean. Celsius versus Fahrenheit. Oh yeah,
2: Celsius versus oh, okay. Fahrenheit. <laughs> anyway, that that's neither here nor there. Um, where I know you've taken. I don't even want to talk to you anymore. I know you've taken, you've taken your love of this into like painting and now you've got an art gallery or showing as well. Is that correct? Uh,
0: that's right. Yeah. So I, as part of, so my PhD was actually based in fine art. So part of, as well as a thesis, I made a set of paintings and I showed those in, uh, 2017. And then, um, so a couple of them had just been in LA actually at show out there. Um, so that they're being kind of shown and then I um, have some going to be in a show for the Home and Metal exhibit in Birmingham a little bit later on um, in September. And so, yeah, the, the paintings are kind of something that a big part of the project for me. I guess that's the way that I uh, that I kind of examine the jackets and process them. So making the painting of the jacket is a big, big part of um, a way of kind of understanding them, I suppose, for me. Uh, and it, producing something that, um, you know, because there's a number of people doing uh, kind of um, archives of, of photos of jackets, which is, you know, they're brilliant. There's some great, great examples out there. But for me, not really being a photographer, you know, I might use the photograph as a, as part of the process, but um, really what's interesting to me is is to sit down and make a painting of, of the jacket. And
2: gotcha.
0: there's something about taking the you know spending a long time doing that that it feels to me a little bit like the uh you know the medieval monk illuminating the manuscript or something (laughs) that that kind of that kind of devotional labor right
2: nice
1: that's great you
2: got anything else
1: i don't know man i really appreciate this conversation it was amazing that was great yeah especially the uh, part
2: no 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 Hey, if if anybody listening is interested in your work, where can they find it and where can they find your paper if they want to get...
0: Yeah, so it's all uh, it's all available on my website. So it's just tomcardwell.uk and that you can um, get PDFs of the papers on there, including the thesis and all my artworks on
2: there as well. All right. I encourage everyone to do that because this has been a great conversation. I appreciate your time, Tom.
0: Oh, uh, well, Thank you. It's great to talk to you guys. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a really exciting uh podcasts and the documentaries are are great as well so i've really enjoyed
2: looking at the stuff appreciate it thank you for taking the time
1: no problem thanks again tom have a good one man you
2: rock my friend thank you so much
1: it's a pleasure thank you (laughs) what a guy (laughs) that was a great interview he's just so full of information
2: (laughs) not only do i like doing the metal stuff that we do speaking to the artists but i really like this uh research stuff that's done on the fringes and on the outside that you know people doing different things in
1: the metal world i think is really fun well it even helps me understand myself more by talking to people like that like why why are we doing the things that we're doing you know what i mean let's not get into a psychology podcast this is supposed to be about nothing but (laughs) you know (laughs) i'm just spilling my soul about going to church wearing a pentagram you know (laughs) I like that he did his research and he threw
2: that Gojira in right at the end. I was like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> he, he must have been waiting the whole podcast for that because that was like the last thing he said. Oh, and don't forget my Gojira patch. Like, God
1: <laughs> damn it. <laughs> I'll tell you that what. That was great. If, if Gojira come to the D.C. area, I'll buy you a ticket. And will go. You have to see him live. Once you do, then you'll be fine. If yeah. you're listening to this, I suggest you go check out his
2: artwork, paintings, read that paper because it's really interesting. As Chris said, it gives us kind of an insight into why we're doing the weird shit that we do.
1: Amen. Globally. Yeah. It seems to be all over the place, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, a friend of mine, Ken, just went down and filmed and f- photographed a Cuban metal festival. Wow, I didn't even know there was metal in Cuba. No. They don't have access to the internet, the outside world. He went down there, they're all wearing like battle jackets and black t-shirts and where yeah. How does this happen? Why does it happen? It's amazing. Pretty
2: cool stuff. So yeah, that was great and Edward, your CD will be coming this week or whenever I can get to the post office, probably on Friday. So thank you for being our maybe fourth listener, whatever we got. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Have a great week.
1: You too, and it's brutally delicious
2: outside. Yeah, I'm going to go get some sun. I'll see you
1: later. All right, cheers. Bye. Bye. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road.